This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. In your face. featuring Simo Snoo with Snowtown, and uh, Simo Snoo joins us in the studio. Welcome back to 3CR. Hey, thanks for having me. I love that track. Uh, tell us about Bistro. 
Uh, Bistro is a, a rapper from Sydney. I just put out that record, which is called The Fetus, through my label, which is called Yes Rave. And I also produced that record. Yeah. What's the bout? Uh, the record's like kind of like a weird time travel childhood trauma story. He's he's much better at explaining it, but it's like um, basically him regressing in his mind back to being a child and realizing like nostalgia is kind of not usually not always fun or kind of things like that. Bit of trauma, yeah. It's got a great (laughs) edge to it though, and it's uh, it's it's kind of punk. Yeah, for sure. Rap equals punk these days. Mm. Yeah, I guess in a way, rap is the new punk. You're doing a lot of that on Yes Rave at the moment, and you've been no. so busy. Tell us what you've been up to. <laughs> uh, we did like um, uh, three albums. Well, uh, yeah, three albums last month. In a uh, month, yeah, yeah. So like, I'm yeah, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was like a the Bistro record, Bistro record, uh, a record called OKU First uh, from Moonsign from Newcastle, uh, and a record from FCK called Tape One that came out. Um, So, yeah, that was all in like a month. Does that give you kind of like creativity by by deliberately like jamming it all together? Like is it kind of like a manic experience Uh, for you? (laughs) It's definitely like a manic uh, energy to it. Like like the day after like the FCK record came out, which was only like last week. Uh, Was it last week? I'm pretty sure it was only last week. Uh, (laughs) I, like, didn't, like, move the next day. So, like, it was just, like, this, like, building of energy, like, I think for, like, a whole month and just, like, realizing I wasn't really sleeping and, like, but just working, working, working. Um, do you need that, though, to produce what you do? Sometimes. I mean, I mean, yeah, sometimes. sometimes it's, like, a, too much is really bad for you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because that, <laughs> that adrenaline. Yeah. It's really stressful, but also it's just bad for your glands. You can yeah, feel it sure. kind of going through you and it's like, oh. But you somehow need it creatively sometimes as well. It gives you that momentum, doesn't it, just to get it done and to yeah. go to those places where yeah, you don't otherwise get to. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I feel like you can only kind of do it so many times before it starts to be quite bad for you. But, um, but uh yeah, I mean, I like that. That's kind of how I've always worked in that, in that kind of manic energy, I suppose. Um, yeah. Tell us about some of the acts on Yes Rave because you've got heaps on your label. Yeah. First of all, where do you get them from? Um, uh, mostly just like friends. Um, um, yeah, mostly friends. I mean, it's like, like I started in Sydney and then when I moved here, obviously I kept going. Uh, so a lot of the artists are from Sydney. But there's like Bistro, Moonsign, FCK, Bilby, um, and there's like a bunch that are I can't talk about yet. But there's, there's a few more releases this year uh, coming out as well. Of course, last time we chatted, you just released Susie, and you were so happy about Susie. I've kind mm. of got the impression that Susie's one of your favorite albums that you've done. I think so. Um, maybe that one and like the very pretty one, the one before that as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably. Every new album I do, I think it's like the best thing I do. So uh, whatever my next album will, is will be my favorite one, I think. And what is your next album? Uh, it's. I think I want to get it out next month. Um, 
Yeah, I think I want to call it metal machinery music uh, as a a joke. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so that I think that will be out next month. Hey, look, I want to play a track of yours, and I kind of think you did it as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing, no. but maybe you didn't. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Call Me Maybe? <laughs> uh, I did this, like, I don't know how long ago, five years ago maybe. Uh, this friend of mine, Kyle Mabson, who lives in, in L.A., does these, like, ridiculous compilations that are, like, uh, like 100 people, you know. Like, he did one that was, like, 100 people remixing, like, Gautier and, like, he does, like, wrestling theme ones and stuff like that. And this was just, like, one that he did that was, like, 50 people doing Call Me Maybe. Uh, so I did. This is my version of it. version of uh, Carly Rae Jemsen's uh, Call Me Maybe, which I forgot that I did that. <laughs> it's actually a great pop song. Uh, yeah. You know, like people dismissed Carly Rae Jepsen as being, you know, lightweight. 
But really, she's a great lyricist, and that yeah, is a great pop song. And I love your remix. Then, Thank um, you. <laughs> do you remember where you were when you did it? Um, yeah, I don't know. I was living in Sydney at the time. Um, yeah, just in my house, probably. Yeah, right. <laughs> and do you remember what was going on when you decided to actually do that cover? Um, well, actually, my, yeah, it was just my friend asking me to do it for his compilation. Uh, but I did like, I liked the song, but um, I think I like hadn't heard it that many times at that point or something. I don't know. How old is that song? Like the, the original, I can't remember. Yeah, it's like 2009 or something, isn't it? Yeah. It must have been, yeah, it must have been a while after it came out. But um, I didn't re- I remember I was liking it. I never listened to it that much. And so when I covered it, I purposely didn't like listen to it again. But then I took the original and obviously cut it in. But yeah, I don't know. It was just something fun. <laughs> so who are you listening to at the moment? Like who are the artists that you, you know, have at home and yeah. listen to when you're just chilling out or whatever? Um I've been listening to heaps of like I don't know. Um <laughs> I was listening to like Anita Baker the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from the nineties. From the eighties. Yeah. 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 Her, I like, love her. Her album called like Rapture, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And such a great story. Like, she was working as a receptionist in Detroit. You know, she was no. from the ghettos, basically. And did that track, realised she could sing and won no. Grammys. And it was such a great story, you know. No. Uh, and just such a great story of inspiration for, like, mm. you know, the politics of now. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you for reminding me about yeah. Anita Baker. That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I listened to her and uh, I don't know. I listen to lots of like random like rap music, obviously, but um, I don't know. I was listening to Tool on the way here. Um, who else? Um, I'm totally blanking. This band called 100 Gex I've been listening to, who are pretty wild. Um, yeah. Now I've got to ask you, how did your gig at the Tote go? Um, I can't remember which one. <laughs> oh, in the front bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's cute. Um, I was with like Infra Ghosts and uh, Rolls, who were both really good. Um, but yeah, it was funny playing in the front box and then played in the front. Um, and there's a weird, awkward energy to it that I liked. But yeah. It must be weird performing indoors because you often perform as a DJ outdoors. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> but you've been doing a few gigs indoors lately. Uh, yeah, pretty much all. I think. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I played outside. <laughs> hey, look, um, you're going to Sydney. You've got a gig in Redfern. Sure. Tell us about that. Uh, that's the, the launch for Bistro's album. Uh, it's on this September... Damn, I should remember. September 10, I think, at the Bearded Tit. Um, with me and like Poison Abbey from Sydney, who are great, and Mama See to Death, who's also from Sydney, uh, who's really great. Um, yeah... How do you feel about performing in Sydney? Um, I haven't done, I've only done it like once in the last few years. Like I went and played the Heaps Gay Mardi Gras party. Like last, was it last year? Maybe last year, I can't remember. Um, and that was great. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, I tried to like, like I was tweeting the other day about how like I put like Victoria on a poster like next to my name for the, for the Sydney show. Uh, and I was like, I felt kind of fake because I feel like I still am pretty like Sydney. Like it's a very weird 
thing that comes along with being from Sydney. I don't know. Maybe you don't get rid of something. I don't know. <laughs> Describe that. What's that weird Sydney thing? Um, I don't know. Like a level of like anxiety or like, and like, or just like a, I don't know. I feel like it's like, it's like a lot harder to be creative there. So I think you have this like weird kind of chip on your shoulder or something as well. <laughs> and I think like, like I noticed like moving here, like, cause like in Sydney, you have to like work so hard to do anything. Whereas here it's a bit easier. So like I moved here and I'm still working the same, same like level. And I was like, oh wow, like doing it twice as much here. <laughs> so, so Sydney's a more anxious place. Mm. Yeah. It's like way more expensive. Everyone's like, uh, extremely busy and like just trying to yeah more of an edge more competitive yeah totally yeah it's not, not as much opportunities um it's not as many venues uh the rent's like like four times the amount um yeah yeah and See, i think melbourne's going down that path though oh, okay <laughs> don't you think <laughs> no. i mean i mean like my comparison is like sydney so here it's like so chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my theory about all that is if you want to do community, come to Melbourne. Because Melbourne's yeah. like the the centre of community activism in, in Australia. So my sense is that maybe Sydney's got more of that edge or Melbourne's kind of diluted its edge hmm. through its community focus, you know. And I'm not quite sure why the two cities are so different. No. Other than probably maybe Melbourne just benefited from being like, you know, hmm. after Sydney. In terms Maybe. of invasion and no, all I, of that, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know, but no. yeah, they're really different places, really different energy. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, um, um, and even, even like with like lockout laws in Sydney, where it's like, like they still kind of have them here. And I remember like they tried to do them here, and people were like, no. Whereas like people in Sydney were like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> like, maybe they didn't want it to happen, but like I remember like they were trying to do it here, and people were like on the streets, and they're like, ah, oh, okay, we won't do that here then. I don't know. I don't know. It's all it's all very difficult and to really say for sure, but I don't know. <laughs> hey, look, I was watching some of your music videos. Have you made any music videos in Sydney? Uh, yeah, all of them except for three of them. Yeah. So there was one, I can't remember the track, but it was like in a suburban area and mm. you were kind of, it was kind of hilly. No. And you were just standing in a suburban street and it was kind of getting dusk and oh, all yeah, of yeah. that. What was that? Tell us about that. Uh, that was, I think, I think when you, is uh, the ugly video, I think you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was shot in like Preston uh, by my friend Lalich. Um, they they directed it and shot it. Um, but yeah, it was just shot in Preston. Uh, and they just got like a, a camera, like a SLR, I think. Um, and we're like, I have this for like two days. Let's go and make a video. And the sun was like going down. And so we just went and made a video in like half an hour. <laughs> hey, look, um, you picked another track. It's by FCK. Yeah. Tell us about this band and tell us about this track and tell us why you picked it. Oh, uh, so FCK is a, a rapper. Um, she used to be in um, Beloved Elk, who are a really good band. Um, but uh, like Yes Rave just put out uh, her new record called Tape One. Um, and she's a really good rapper. The launch for it is next Saturday um, at, at Nighthawks. Um, I'm playing uh, Bitumen and uh, Chihuahua and uh, Spunkunk. Um, yeah. 
And the record's really good. You should go check it out. FCK with Could You Be Anyone off of uh, tape one, which is out now on uh, Yes Rave. She's very angsty, isn't she? I like it. It's kind of, um, that is punk. That's kind of like um, yeah. a modern day hole. Sure, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a bit more about it. Um, it's a, 
the record's really good. It's like, yeah, it's uh, I think there's like one kind of chill one that's called uh, Fighting On, which has a video that comes out on Sunday. Um, but it's all kind of of that that level of it's a very angry record, um, and I think it's a very validly angry record as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, anger's such a great motivator. For sure. <laughs> Do you get angry at the music industry? And I mean, you're in a great position because 20 years ago, you know, it was really almost impossible to have your own label and succeed. No. Uh, you're in a position, I think, with technology where you can transpose that transcend it, whatever the word is. No. But it still must really piss you off when you hear all these mainstream acts on the radio that are getting airplay and making money. Um, I mean... I mean, people can do what they want to do, <laughs> but I mean, it, uh, it, yeah, I think there's like, there's certain levels of, of it, like, you know, it's very, there's certain levels of it that aren't accessible, but like, um, I am lucky that I live in the, or that, that people in general live in the, in the, who want to have a label, um, <laughs> live now because you can, you can, um, you know, having a label now is like having a band camp page and, and going on Google and searching the names of the people who you released. Um, but most things are free. There's like not that many like overheads to do anything. Um, but then there's certain levels you can't you kind of can't get to without money. But like, um, yeah, yeah, it takes a lot of time to do. <laughs> but you're less subservient as an artist. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, like you can just use, you know, your phone is like, you know, an entire, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. You can do so many things just on your phone it's alone. on your phone, totally. <laughs> like, uh, and there's so many things, like, they used to, like, charge, you know, people, like, thousands of dollars to do, like, you know, like a PR campaign. But now you can just, like, um, say, for example, you go to 3CR's website and you can you can go and find everyone's email address and you can just email them the track for free um whereas before people would charge you you know thousands of dollars for that and i guess as a queer artist too you just don't have those same barriers i mean once upon a time they didn't sign up queer artists and you had to be signed up and you had to be discovered so it was all just dependent 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 for sure and you're smashing through that i hope so (laughs) yeah i mean i mean it's definitely like um yeah, I think there's definitely like systems and and kind of like structures and there's there's that you know, that affect people like way worse than they do with me. But um uh that still exists from like kinda of old and time or olden times or whatever. Um yeah, I don't know. I think I think kind of uh totally blanking right now. <laughs> what do you what are your views about class in the music industry? Um well, I did a tweet about it the other day. Um, but I think it's like a thing that people maybe don't talk about enough, and like it's something that's like very real in um, you know accessing you know like <laughs> the things that you need and being able to like even even just things like buying gear or like you know, learning things or like having the the time to pursue pursue uh, music and things like that. Um, I think it's something that I don't, I don't have like the answers for it, but I think it's something needs to be addressed by someone with much better knowledge of it. But um, what about class and gigs and having gigs that people go yeah. to, and what are some of the class barriers around gigging? Um, 
Well, it's like, I think like a big thing is like, I don't, <laughs> I'm going to watch like my words, but like even like putting on gigs where it's like, you know, you've got to pay for the sound person, you've got to pay for the door person. And it's like, I know there's very different reasons for these kinds of things, but it's like, uh, maybe there needs to be some kind of way of like making that more accessible for people to put on a show. You maybe don't have that kind of money. Um, and I'm sure those venues exist somewhere, but, um, yeah, it costs a lot of money to put on shows. Yeah. 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 I was talking to William Elm like a few months ago and they were saying they had a gig and by the time they paid everybody, yeah. there was nothing for them, the performers, for sure. there was nothing yeah. for them and Jeremy basically. Yeah. And that must be a common story. Do you find that? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I put on like three shows aside this year and I ended up paying the acts like myself, like, and like, uh, like I don't have any money <laughs> and like, uh, but that's just kind of what I had to do. And it's like, um, there's something really like wrong with that. I don't know how to sort that out, but there's something really wrong with that. Like, and even like, um, you know, like doing some, like, um, doing the door at a show is an important job that someone should have. But I put on shows where it's like the door person got paid and it's like, oh, like I can't pay the artist though. And it's like, maybe being a door person is, is a great job to have and that's, you should get paid for doing that. But then it's like, the people that people, the people that people came here to see aren't getting paid. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's something like really wrong with that. Do they still pay with beer? Uh, I mean, some... Some places, you know, give you a couple of drink tickets, but uh, they do it, tickets <laughs> at least once upon a time. You used to have the honor of getting a jug, they'd actually sure. pour you a jug and bring it over to you. But I reckon tickets that's just that's yeah. insulting. Some, some places give you, you know, a pot, a pot. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's very, I, I mean, I don't run a venue, I don't know the cost, but it, it is a bit like beer must be yeah. cheap though when you're buying sure. it by the multiple keg, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> And it's like, you know, bands, like, love beer, you know, like... Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's hard for me to comment on it properly. I don't know all the... Uh, the runnings. I don't run a venue. I've never run a venue before. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There is a lot of problematic things that happen within music industries that people don't talk about enough. What are some of the other issues they don't talk about much? I mean, like, even, like, uh, accessibility in venues is, like, a thing that I think people should talk about more, like... Yeah, totally. So that all all people are able to get into the venue, which is a thing I've, I've tried to start doing. Well, I've, I've started doing. Uh, putting on events is, like, finding out, you know, if there's stairs, if there's steps and things like that before. And I understand that venues can't have um, everything be completely accessible. But uh, just having the information to give people is is a thing that's maybe not done enough. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there's more, and I'm, I think there's probably better people to bring those up. But that's one thing that I, I've i noticed. Uh, and that's because maybe, that's because somebody sort of asked me that. They were like, how can I get into this venue? And I was like, oh, crap, like I never thought about that. I should think about that. Uh, yeah. You are on In Your Face on 3CR, and I'm chatting with Simo Sue, the wonderful DJ punk rapper performer <laughs> gonna play another track of yours this one's called losing you and it's a bit of a collaboration yeah it is yeah yeah this is a it's another cover uh, of solange with my friend marcus whale 
cover of Solange's uh, Losing You with my friend Marcus Whale uh, of Collarbones and um, BV and heaps of really good bands. Yeah, you should listen to the new Collarbones song that came out today. I think it's called Deep, I think. But yeah, 
I love the dodo bird screaming in that track. <laughs> it's the uh, it's like the Wilhelm scream. It's the the scream that it's in like every movie basically. <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting today. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me. When's your next gig? Uh, the 10th of August. Uh, it's the FCK Tape One album launch. Uh, it's me, Bitchman, uh, Chihuahua, and Spunkunk, and it's a Nighthawks. And yeah. Awesome stuff. We'll have to have you back guest DJing in the summer again. For sure. Here's Laurie Anderson. Been chatting with Simo Sue. You're on 3CR. You're listening to 3CR Radio.
the sugar cubes there with pump. It is all almost a quarter to five run in your face on 3CR with James. Please be advised the following interview may trigger some issues around mental health with some people. So if you need some time out, please take it and come back in about 15 minutes to 3CR. Alrighty, Charlie Wilbridge is the National Program Coordinator for Mind Out at the LGBTI National Health Alliance. Charlie, welcome to 3CR. Thanks so much for having me, James. You do some great work at the Alliance with Mind Out. It's got a strong suicide prevention focus. Tell us about the current work that you're doing. Um, I guess there's a few things we're focusing on at the moment, both at a community-based level and national level. Um, Community uh, focus is around currently where we're working in collaboration with Living Works to adapt their applied suicide intervention training to be suitable for LGBTI communities. So what that means is not only are we training up and getting LGBTI people through the training, but also getting them trained as trainers, which will increase accessible training for LGBTI people to have that training run by peers, which are LGBTI people. Um, So that's on a community level, but I guess why that's necessary, though, is because of the lack of accessible services or visibility in policy. Um, So we've been working nationally and will continue to do so to make sure that LGBTI is on the table and hopefully listed as a priority population, which has been missing in the last few conversations over the last couple of weeks, especially uh, around the announcement of uh, Christine Morgan to the Prime Minister as um, the advisor around suicide prevention. So looking forward to see what her and her team um, will be open to and what conversations we'll be able to have. So you're saying that the rainbow community, if you like, has been missing from being at the table in relation to policy and priority populations. That seems extraordinary to me. Uh, what's going on there? Um, well, in the past, we have been listed in in, in previous uh, strategies and mental health commission frameworks. We've been listed as a priority, but and that's it. It doesn't necessarily delve into the needs of the community. And so, we're hoping with this new uh, focus by the government, with Christine and the Prime Minister, that we can reinforce that. And it's not just around mentioning LGBTI as a priority, but let's talk about uh, our needs. Um, as a community and how it is different. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, the federal government's priorities sometimes seem at odds with actually doing those things that you just talked about. And uh, the classic thing, of course, is around the religious freedom debate. And uh, we had Lee Carney on the show a couple of weeks ago saying, look, you know, these discussions often, you know, see a spike in services, uh, having people access them because they're stressed out about the homophobia and uh, the isolation that these debates cause. Are you finding that at the LGBTI Health Alliance, say through your Life service and with other services, that there are a spike, an increase in the number of people contacting you as a result of some of these debates? Yeah, look... Unfortunately, it, it, it is it is happening, and um, I, we all, or hopefully those that are listening, remember the marriage equality. And unfortunately, we did see a spike then, because that's what happens with folks uh, when our lives are being debated or spoken about unsafely in the media. Um, but with uh, the religious freedoms, there's a spike more around concerns. And what I think's good to, to point out, it's not around people calling around their identity, it's the increase 
it's minority stress and the increase of this um, psychological distress because of these conversations that are happening around them, whether it's in their family, with the government or in the media that uh, increases their stress, which unfortunately leads to negative mental health outcomes. Absolutely. Now, I guess that creates more barriers for, for services as well when they're you know overloaded and when they're having all of these strung out people contacting them. So it's really good that you're actually doing that work to ensure that LGBTI issues are put on the agenda for mainstream mental health organisations as well. Uh, are you finding, though, that sometimes like pushing uphill to, to do that? Um, that's, yeah, perhaps not, maybe uh, not that way. I guess what's good about it is there's services out there that are uh, willing to make organisational tra- change and be quite open about that, but that is key when there's no resources or money attached to that. Often mainstream services are doing it out of goodwill um, to make their services more inclusive and unfortunately there's no benchmark or obligation um, legislative that they have to include diversity, identity and inclusion as part of their values and process. Um, But we are seeing organisations and working with organisations to make them more inclusive. Um, But yeah, you're right, it's a big gap. And I guess what's something important to point out as well now when we're talking about the barriers is we're not just talking about LGBTI communities as a whole. Um, There's intersections and different parts of the community. And so if we want to talk about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander folk, there's barriers for them potentially accessing AMSs because of their LGBTI identity, however, also experience um, discrimination at an LGBTI organisation. So I think it's really important that we talk about increasing capacity of services as a whole to deal with all of our community because we aren't just one homogenous group. Absolutely. Now, tell us about the work that Mind Out does with Indigenous communities. Um, so, at the moment, uh, we have a advisory group which consists um, of folk around the country um, that either have uh, are affiliated with grassroots organisations, uh, are doing the work on the ground, and the work to date has been working with the Centre of Best Practice um, around uh, developing a framework. And I think pointing out from that, the Centre of Best Practice released their report from their National World Indigenous Suicide Prevention Conference last year. And what was really nice to see from a national and world uh, report is that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, LGBTI, brother, boy and sister girl communities, there were recommendations specifically in there around they need to be at the table, they need to be a part of the solution. And it was nice to see that that's explicit in that kind of report and it'd be really nice to see that mirror across over into our more mainstream and mental health commission reports as well. Tell us about the work that Mind Out does regarding gender diversity. Gender diversity. So we've been working collaboratively um, across the board of the uh, LGBTI spectrum. Um, um, currently we're in the process of forming a Uh, gender diverse uh, roundtable, so that's work to be done. Um, But whenever we're doing consultations or working with community, we're trying to make sure that we've got everyone at the table, and that includes folks um, with variations of sex characteristics, trans, bisexual, as well as lesbian and gay. 
Absolutely. I was going to ask you about the intersex community because the eye is often the bit that gets left off uh, alphabet yeah. soup, isn't it? So that's great doing work with the intersex community. Yeah, so we've been trying to work with them and I think out of all of the work that's been done around LGBTI in Australia, intersex is often missed and the most under-resourced as well. And so um, what's really important and what I encourage all organisations in the sector to do is is working in partnership and things are co-designed from the ground so that things can happen collaboratively and no one's lost. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's a great focus of your work, isn't it, is putting those structures in place at at MindOut so that organisations can actually do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's exciting, but also we've got to be wary of with the increased discussion around suicide prevention and that it's not just a health issue uh, for Australians, it's actually across the board. And if there's money being thrown towards it, more than likely it won't come to LGBTI organisations. But I think it's just really important that all work is done in partnership with LGBTI organisations and not doing the work without them because our community knows uh, what we need and our lived experience as well. So I think that's something to highlight. We're we're better together, I guess, and working together um, than or trying to achieve the same thing separately. So it sounds like our community is a bit further down the picking order when it comes to funding priorities from the federal government regarding LGBTIQ suicide prevention. Is that a fair comment? Uh, I can't comment on specific government priority, um, but I'd like to think that given the new uh, focus on suicide prevention and the team that's being established around um, feeding back into Prime Minister and Cabinet, that yes, it does become... Uh, more of a priority. Um, however, I can't speak for the government. So, If the federal government was to invest uh, in a priority area for the LGBTIQ community regarding suicide prevention, what would you advise them their number one focus should be? That's a tricky one, James. I think it's, there's so much to be done. Uh, we need to look after each other and that's why uh, these gatekeeper trainings are important because we look to peer support. That's why we have QLife. That's why um, we look to each other for support, so increasing the capacity of our community. But uh, it's incredibly important that it's around... Community needs to be able to talk about suicide prevention and mental health with each other in a safe way, but uh, it's, services need to be accessible, and that involves like a genuine commitment, like, whether it be through policy, organisational change, uh, they need to be public around their commitment to LGBTI communicate, um, communities. Uh, it, training, like simple things from walking into an organisation and feeling safe from the get-go to being rejected based on your identity. Um, there's lots of work to be done, but it's all around increasing capacity, I think, and training. But genuine partnerships and commitment, I think, is important. Absolutely. Charlie, love your work. Thank you so much for talking to us today on 3CR. It's really appreciated. Thanks so much for your time, James. Cheers.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.